Hello, and welcome to the Collider.com podcast. I'm Collider.com senior editor Matt Goldberg, and with me is deputy editor Adam Chitwood. Howdy, folks. Today, we will be talking about the awards race. Uh, we The Golden Globe nominations were announced on uh, Monday, and the weird thing about the Globes is that <laughs> they're this weird relic that are sort of like, ah, the awards race has begun by people who aren't in the industry like it's the Hollywood Foreign Press Association so they're not guilds they're not anything like that but they matter because they've been around for a while even though you can also easily buy a golden globe nomination yes it's so it's so freaking weird but anyway this is where we're at right now is that the critics associations are starting to come out with their best their year ah their best of the year lists and the guilds are slowly starting to weigh in with their nominations. And now you have the Globe nominations. And so everything is kind of starting to take shape, even though I would say we know just as little now. I, 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 I'm with you, kind of. Last year broke me yeah. a little bit with in terms of like, oh, I know how this is going to go. Because I remember, you know, you, you talked to me in October of 2018, and I'm like, I think a star is born is pretty unstoppable. Yeah. <laughs> I don't think anything's going to slow its momentum. No way would a studio ever botch a film like this that seems to check all the boxes to win all the major awards. And yet here we are. Yeah. So that, that all being said, this is not to be like, I will tell you who will be winning best picture, but this is the state of the race as it is. And, and so we're going to talk about uh, six categories, best picture, Best Director, Best Actor, Best Actress, Best Supporting Actor, Best Supporting Actress. And uh, so let's start, let's start, uh, we'll lead up to Best Picture. Let's start with Best Supporting Actress. Uh, Adam, where are we with this category? Uh, I mean, this is a weird category because so often, uh, you know, I think it's just indicative of uh, Hollywood as a whole, but there are not a ton of great supporting roles for women. Um, usually you have like the woman part. And that's the best. That's the lead actress role. Um, but this year's lineup actually has some interesting, uh, interesting people um, in it. I mean, there are. So I, I guess each category, I'll break down kind of the front runners and then who else is in the mix. Um, but the front runners for supporting actors this year, I'd say you've got Laura Dern for Marriage Story. Um, you know, she's great in the movie. She has the quote unquote Oscar scene, this big, big breakout scene where she gives this kind of speech that's really rousing and is already being turned into gifts by uh, Netflix. Um, and then you have uh, Jennifer Lopez for Hustlers. That's been, uh, you know, a, she was trumpeted kind of at TIFF uh, for this film that kind of has kind of, uh, you know, I think people were pr prepared to kind of shrug off Hustlers as this kind of commercial play, but it's actually a really good film and actually made Matt's top 10 list, which you can read on Collider.com right now. And I think Jennifer Lopez is really good in the movie. Um, so I would not be upset to see her score a supporting act domination. Um, those are kind of the two big front runners, I think, right now. It's kind of tough to suss out. I mean, the supporting categories are also where um you have tend to have surprises it does appear that kathy bates is in the mix for richard jewell a film i have not seen matt see you've seen it right are you allowed to talk about it i have seen it she has a big important speech where she's like has a press conference and is like leave my son alone <laughs> damn media damn he saved lives you know you journalists don't understand and so she plays a tearful mother and you know 
<laughs> yeah. But she is beloved in the industry. She is a, a really good actress. Uh, I think she won the Oscar for About Schmidt. She did. She won. Oh, for Misery. Misery. I thought she won for Not About. For, yeah. She didn't, yeah, she didn't win for. Yeah, she didn't win for. I don't think okay. she won for About Schmidt. I think she's that's, only won for Misery. Right. Um, and then another movie I haven't seen is Bombshell. Apparently, Margot Robbie is maybe possibly in the mix. Uh, you've seen Bombshell. Yeah, I have seen Bombshell. I'll put it this way. Um, so we recently got done with our uh, counting votes for the Southeastern Film Critics Association. And Margot Robbie did get quite a few for Bombshell. She also got quite a few for um, Once Upon a Time uh, in Hollywood. I will also notice note that <sighs> there wasn't a lot. Like, it, it, it kept feeling like a sort of an also-ran. Yeah. I'll put it that way. There was no strong... It was sort of like in a ranked ballot of one, two, and three. There were sort of like, and third... You know, sort of like kind of like an afterthought thing because the performance itself is not that strong. And it's not like I think Robbie R- Robbie is a, a really good actress, but Bombshell has a lot of issues. And I don't think it's a particularly I don't think it's a role that demands. a yeah, lot from her. That's fair. Um, and so. she's also playing a fictional character in the film. Uh, right. Next to actors playing for real sure. people. Yeah. Um, another one in the mix that I think uh, could possibly uh even likely score a nomination is uh, I think it's Zhao Shushen from the farewell. Um, she plays Nai Nai mm-hmm. and really great performance. Uh, this is, I don't know. So usually you have a Sundance movie in the best picture mix this year. Sundance was pretty so, so. And so the farewell just seems like a bubble candidate to me. And that's not a knock on the film's quality. It's more a knock on like the industry and uh, you know, the heat and the buzz on the movie itself. It's possible it scores nominations for supporting actors, for even actress, for screenplay, for picture. It's possible it scores no nominations. But I do think uh, Xiao Xuxian is, uh gives a really great performance in the film, a really kind of soulful performance. Uh, and so that's one to keep on the radar. Yeah, I would say, um, again, this is just based on looking at ballots and things like that of, of a critics organization. Uh, a candidate I would not rule out is someone who won the runner-up for us in Best Supporting Actor, and that's Florence Pugh for... Yeah, that was the next one I was going to discuss. Um, Yeah. And I think it's... Gosh, the Golden Globes had a problem (laughs) with Little Women. They did not like Little Women, uh, which is insane because the movie's fucking fantastic. Uh, And Florence Pugh is great. And uh, she plays Amy? Amy. I always get the sisters mixed up. Uh, and Amy in the book, uh, as I'm told, is kind of insufferable at times, but I think this movie does a great service to her character in flipping back and forth um, between the two time periods where you see her maturity well, and, and I also her think maturity at the same time. Right. And the thing is, is like basically has to she has to play the, the ages spanning from 13 yeah. to 20, like in these two time periods. Now, the 1994 version tried to solve this by basically splitting the role. We're having Kirsten Dunst play young Amy and having Samantha Mathis play the mm-hmm. older Amy. So the fact that Florence Pugh takes all of it and convincingly plays a much younger person as well as someone more you know closer to her own age, I think is, speaks to sort of her range and also never making young Amy feel like she's childish and immature, but never in a way that's sort of like you're a 23 year old woman playing a 13 year old. Yeah. Like, that's weird. It never comes off as weird. She, she yeah. nails it. And it's, that's not an easy, she's thing. really great. And I would love to see her nominated. I think she's having a great year between this and Midsommar. Um Don't forget fighting with my, fighting family. With my family, a film I have not seen. 
<laughs> a film she was also in and is fine. Um, and before we get to kind of the in the mix, one that I could very likely see being a quote unquote surprise or a dark horse is a net binning in the report. Um, this is one, mm. if you listen to our podcast after Sundance, we kind of flag the report as like, ooh, this is going to be the big Oscar movie. I don't know what Amazon is doing, but they seem to not care about awards anymore or something. Um, they they kind of just fucked it up. Like basically Amazon, like they basically their release strategy for the report was like, oh, we'll just do what they did with Roma and we'll release it in a few theaters and then a couple weeks later it'll be on uh, our service and that'll and that and it'll just buzz will yeah. follow. But they haven't like the thing is is Netflix like went all out for Roma. Like they like you, you like when Roma the day Roma was released on Netflix, like they changed the welcome screen on yeah. Netflix to like bring your attention to it. Like they worked really hard to say like this is our prestige film. And Amazon is kind of phoning it in. And they're just sort of like, yeah, the report. And like, they're not doing shit. And I think Amazon, like you said, is kind of just slowly being like, eh, who cares about awards? We've already, you know, we've won some Oscars here and there. Let's, let's call it. Yeah. I mean, Manchester by the Sea won a, a few Oscars and did really well. And now it seems like they're just kind of pivoting to like, oh, you know, Jack Ryan is really popular and we've got Lord of the Rings. So we don't really care about awards anymore. But all this to say, right. Annette Benning is pretty well loved. I do think she gives a really good performance as Diane Feinstein. And uh, like, this is something that like a SAG win could really propel her into the Oscar circle in terms of visibility and people finally checking that movie out or just voting for it, having not seen the movie just because they like Annette Benning. Um, so. I don't know. I think that's interesting. Yeah. I mean, that's the thing about Annette Benning is that she's been nominated like four or five times for an Oscar. She's never yeah. won. So that's another thing about like, if you, if you start the it's time yeah. narrative, the, they waited their, t- it's a thing, man. Like, you mm. know, it, it's the, they waited their turn. Like, okay. That's- yeah. It's definitely a thing. And then, uh, you know, some other possibilities you have on there. Uh, Laura Dern again for Little Women. I think she's really good in the movie. Jojo Rabbit is a movie I still can't quite put my finger on in terms of its Oscar chances. If the Academy does spark to it, you could see Scarlett Johansson get in or Thomas and McKenzie, who would be my pick. I think she gives a really good performance in that movie. Mm-hmm. Um, I really love Divine Joy Randolph in Dolomite Is My Name. Um, so, you know, maybe she could get in. Um, there's even talk about I think if the I think if the Academy wasn't so fucking white, and I know they've worked to diversify, yeah. but I think like D- Divine Joy Randolph is a clear choice yeah. for me for like best supporting actress, but like she's not famous enough and she's not white enough, so yeah, out you go. It's it's truly a breakout performance. Um, so, and I would absolutely love to see her get in there, but uh, you know who knows. Yeah. So. As always, prepare um, for surprises in the sporting categories, but those are kind of the people on the radar at the moment. Like, Just to touch on something you said with Jojo Rabbit, I am feel like Jojo Rabbit is currently shaking, shaping up to be the year this the film that everyone yes, hates. Absolutely, <laughs> like the film with the most blowback, which is just so like it's almost like winning that TIFF Audience Award is now painting a target on yeah. your back because it's like ah, this is populist and therefore bad. And sometimes I agree that the film is bad, like Green Book. But like Jojo Rabbit, I don't think is bad. But man, people really hate Jojo Rabbit, who like people who don't like it really don't like it, Um, which is surprising to me. And it's sort of like a film that I feel I want to tell you, you're not the target audience. It's a weird film because 
I think winning the audience award and being released by Fox Searchlight in the fall puts on it this sort of prestige label that the film itself is not really going for. Like, yes, it's about combating hate, but it's really a film. And you and I talked about this after we saw it at TIFF. It's really a film aimed at teenagers. It's about, it's, it's a film for people Jojo's age, not for adults who are like, well, I don't need to be told that that hate is bad. And I'm like, yeah, but you're not like a fucking dickhead on YouTube being 13 being like, huh, this guy's talking about all the great things white people have done. I will click for more. <laughs> like that is the world. Like that's the world that, he, that this film is coming into. Like look outside yourself for five fucking seconds and maybe realize that not every movie in the world was yeah. made for you. Yeah. Uh, it's interesting being on the opposite side of that conversation because usually you and i are like there is some contender that is bubbling up whether it's green book or a bohemian rhapsody that it's like ugh, this movie but i don't have a problem with jojo rabbit i liked it quite a bit it's not on my top 10 list but uh you know i enjoyed it i thought it was well made and i wouldn't be super angry if it gets in the the oscar race so but i think you're right looking at the the lay of the land this seems to be the one that's going to be divisive and could end up winning a number of awards right which is funny because I think there's another film that's far more divisive, but I don't think it will get in, and I'll get to that later because I know what I know will return a to tease. it, and I think you know what it is yeah. too. A tease. All right, so let's move on to best supporting actor. Uh, what's happening? There? Uh, I mean, the two heavyweights, or I guess there are three heavyweights in this category. Um, you have from the Irishman, Al Pacino and Joe Pesci. You know, I think the, I, I think we can all agree the Irishman is going to be a major, major Oscar contender. Uh, if you know it's a front runner in a number of major categories and and that usually means it's going to get love spread around it helps that you have these iconic actors giving really great performances uh and you know for some of them their best performances in years like al pacino and others like joe pesci you have the narrative of like you know he hasn't been in a movie since the good shepherd which was like 2007 or something like that uh sometime in the 2000s um so those are two big ones uh you know i think either one of those could actually end up winning um, and then you have Brad Pitt for Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Again, another great narrative. You know, he's a veteran actor. He's really well loved. Narrative wise, he's been doing gangbusters this year. I mean, obviously, there were some personal problems that got out in the press with his split from Angelina Jolie. And he's been pretty candid about his substance abuse issues. But now he just appears to be like living life really healthily and like well and just kind of letting stuff roll off his back. I don't know if you've read any of the interviews with him recently, but he just seems perfectly cool as a cucumber, um, not unlike his character in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. And I do think he gives a really good performance in that movie as well. So I think those are the three heavyweights we have. And then you have, um, you know, as a possibility, Anthony Hopkins and the two popes. I think the two popes could end up being uh, kind of a big deal. It seems like I haven't seen it yet. You've seen it, but it seems like a the kind of the feel good pick. Am I correct? That's- it is. It is definitely the feel good pick. Like like the conservative and the reformer. If they just sat down and talked, they could realize they have more in common than they. You know, and I actually think the film is interesting. Like, I think on a surface level, like, yeah, that's kind of there. But I think the film is actually genuinely interesting about how you wrestle with faith. But I think people will warm up to it because of the more obvious aspects yeah. of it. I'll put it that yeah. way. So that's four. Common Wisdom would, would say put Tom Hanks in that number fifth, number five slot for A Beautiful Day in the Neighborhood. But the Oscars fucking hate Tom Hanks. And this is not an exaggeration. He has not been nominated since Castaway, which was 2000. For an Oscar. Yeah. They looked at they looked at the final scene of Captain Phillips and thought, 
Yeah. Nah. <laughs> no thanks. <laughs> huh, this is an amazing per- <laughs> this Tom Hanks perfectly conveying a person who's suffered a traumatic event and in and the aftermath of it. <laughs> nah. Yeah. Eh, not good enough. No thanks. I don't know if it's just uh, you know, a matter of like taking him for granted or something, but yeah, it's strange. You would not be wise to automatically assume he's going to get nominated for Mr. Rogers. And I think it's a good performance. It's not my favorite performance of his. I probably wouldn't put him in my top five either. But, um, you know, in, in some instances, you know, you look at uh, uh, someone like Jennifer Lawrence, you're like, oh, yeah, she's probably get a nomination. But that just is not the case for Tom Hanks. I don't know why. <laughs> don't know what he did. See, I would put him in the top five. Actually, I actually think it's a really great uh, yeah. performance, especially because of how he manages to convey the idea of, of Mr. Rogers without just doing a full on impersonation. Yeah, I, like- I think that's really impressive. Um, but again, you're right. The Academy does no. not like him. <laughs> and I don't know why. So, um, you know, beyond that, <laughs> we could have a perennial Sam Rockwell uh, nomination for Richard Jewell. Again, you've seen Richard Jewell. Does he have the Oscar, Oscar speech in that movie? The Oscar scene? I mean, he's sort of like, ah, the media <laughs> and the FBI are against you. He's fine. I, the, it's so weird to weir- see Sam Rockwell as like now the awards darling when, I mean, he's always been good. It's just like, where were you dickheads when moon came out? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, <laughs> You know, where were you then? But anyway, I mean, you're not going to, I'm not going to be upset with Sam Rockwell getting love. I don't think it should be for Richard Jewell. There's only one performance in Richard Jewell that's worth any attention. Uh, Marriage Story, I think, is going to be a very big deal. Uh, I'm a little less certain on the Oscar chances of Alan Alda and Ray Liotta. If one of them gets in, it's Alda, I think. Um, But if the Academy Mm -hmm. really loves that movie, I think Alda could certainly get a nomination. Yeah. you also have Sam Rockwell and Jojo Rabbit. If the Academy, you know, really goes for that one, Shia LaBeouf is, you know, on the circuit for Honey Boy. Uh, it's an interesting performance in that movie. Um, the Academy does seem to love, at least to nominate him. They love nominating Willem Dafoe, so he could get in for the Lighthouse, yeah. maybe. Yeah, I, uh, yeah, because he has that. He has that big, that big speech. The, there's. Definitely momentum around Willem Dafoe in the lighthouse uh, and his insane fascination with beans. <laughs> but uh, yeah, and, and the Academy likes Dafoe too. Um, so that's certainly a possibility. I would love to see Song King Ho get nominated for Parasite. I don't know how real mm-hmm. of a possibility that is, but I think he's really fantastic in that movie. I think it's, I think it's more realistic now than I would have a year ago. Because we saw uh, the two acting nominations yeah. for Roma. Yeah, that's true. Jadita Aparicio and I can't remember the other, other actress's name. Forgive me. Um, but yeah, uh, I think you're. I think you're right. That's a that's a good note. Um, you also have Timothy Chalamet for Little Women. If the Academy sparks a Little Women, that's a possibility. Uh, some people are saying Tracy Letts for Ford v Ferrari. I think he's good in that movie. I don't. I think they're. I don't think he's essential yeah. in the slightest in Ford V. Like, I think he's he's entertaining to watch. He is not, a, like, in a year where there are so many good supporting actor uh, performances and, like, the competition is pretty fierce, you don't need to reach for yeah. Tracy Letts. I'll yeah. put it that way. Uh, Just Mercy is a film that doesn't have a ton of traction, but Jamie Foxx does give a really good performance in that movie. Although my favorite uh, performance in that movie comes from Rob Morgan, who I would love to see nominated. I think he's tremendous in that movie 
Um, but unfortunately, it doesn't seem like there's a ton of heat behind that one. Um, I would enjoy seeing Wesley Snipes nominated for Dolomite is my name. <laughs> I think he's fun. really good in that movie and really fun. Yeah. Um, and then there's also the possibility of, uh, or uh, maybe not possibility, but people have mentioned Sterling K. Brown in Waves. Have you seen Waves? I have not. Seen uh, it. I could not make it through Waves. It made me very angry. Like, okay, why did Waves make you so angry? Because it's so weird. When I talk to people who say, see Waves, the reviews are so mixed. They're like, I loved it, and yeah. then I hated it. Like, why would you hate, like, what is so loathsome <sighs> about it's Waves? It's really hard to talk about without getting into spoilers. Um, All right, okay. You'll tell me after Yeah, I, I will just say, like, it is an experiential film. Uh, it's dealing with empathy, and the film is made in a way... Uh, that makes you really care about the characters. But when characters start doing things that are upsetting, you also feel upset, which I guess is a testament to the filmmaking. But like, I was just like, I, I, I don't have time for this. I don't like feeling like this. Uh, and I had other things to do. And, you know, maybe that's the wrong attitude towards that film, but I was just not in the mood for it at that time. But I do think Sterling K. Brown is I, good I hear in the movie. Um, but it's just... Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know, like like the title suggests, it is like waves. Like it is kind of like an in and out and an up and down uh, experience of watching that movie. So, but I have I have not finished okay. it. I'm a bad movie watcher when it comes to that movie. So, and I'm I'm not uh, defending myself. That's I would not advocate doing that. But just being upfront, I did not make it through waves. Yeah, fair enough. And then I I guess there's maybe John Lithgow for Bombshell. How do you? What is that performance like? He's very good at being gross <laughs> under makeup. Like, I think John Lithgow is a great actor. I don't think it's a huge challenge to make Roger Ailes seem, you know, be gross and yeah. disgusting. Like, you know, it, it would have surprised me if there's like, no, no, I'm going to really bring some humanity and nuance to this role. It's like, no, he's a fucking gross, disgusting dude, and we should all be glad that he's dead. <laughs> yes. So there you go. Fair <laughs> enough. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm sorry. It was that unkind to no, Roger I think it Ailes. It was very telling when he died that no one was like, "Oh, Roger Ailes." It was just like, "Ah, this dude died." Yeah. Yeah. This, no, this guy <laughs> yeah. was a piece of shit. All right. So, uh, okay, let's move on to best actress, yes, which is Renee Zellweger versus the world. <laughs> yes, it does seem. It it is okay. You know, it is. It it sort of belongs to Renee Zellweger. What happens with the rest of the category? Because. You know, something we've talked about, we've been talking a lot about like, oh, who could get nominated and who could get nominated here. So far, it looks like we're heading like with with a few exceptions, like to an Oscars so white yeah. situation. Yes. And that that that, that could be. Yes, trouble. that could be trouble. I'm not saying that sarcastically. I'm not, I mean, that's genuinely like I get like on the one hand, like the Oscars are the end result of Hollywood. Like, you know if Hollywood is not making enough films with, with great performances for, with great roles for actors of color, you run into this scenario. That being said, there have been great performances by actors of color this year. I don't want the Academy. Yeah. That's in some years I would say that like, Oh, you know, it's an indication of Hollywood. So it's not necessarily the Academy's fault. There just were not very many great roles for people, for women of color this year. That is not the case this year. Um, you have uh, Lupita Nyong'o in Us, who has already picked up a couple of critics' awards. I think she's tremendous in that movie. Uh, you have Alfre Woodard, who's getting a lot of strong notices for Clemency. She plays a, a prison warden on Death Row. That movie played at Sundance. I've not seen it yet. Have you seen Clemency? 
I started watching it. I am also a bad movie watcher. I was like, I got about 10 minutes in and, you know, and I just suddenly realized, yeah, I'm not in the mood for this right now. Not yeah. that the film was bad. I was just like, I am not in the right headspace for this. I will revisit it's a, it later. It sounds like it's a tough hang. So, um, and these are yeah. also, you know, these are movies that we are watching on screeners, which is not the best way to watch them. Like if I was in a theater for waves, I probably would not. I'd, actually, I guarantee you, I would not walk out. I would finish that movie. And I, I'm sure you would say the same of Clemency. Like if you were at an actual theater. I don't walk out. I don't walk yeah. out on movies. So, so yeah. it's, I think it also that's another factor of it. Um, but you also have Aquafina for the farewell, who I think actually has a very strong shot at getting a nomination for best actress this year because best actress is very thin this year. Um, again, an indication more of the roles in Hollywood this year more than um, the quality of acting this year. Um, mm-hmm. uh, and she's very good in the movie. I think she's terrific. Uh, and then you have. Um, uh, Cynthia Erivo for Harriet, which I have not seen, but reviews on it are not great. I have, yeah, I saw it. The film is not very good, and I thought uh, Erivo was better last year in both Bad Times at the El Royale yeah. and Widows. Yeah. Like Harriet is like, it's one of those things where like we revere who Harriet Tubman is, and it's not that Erivo gives, gives a bad performance. It's just that the film is not that textured or nuanced. And so the the role kind of yeah. falls flat. Interesting. Um, I mean, for my money, I would put Anna de Armas in the conversation for Knives Out. I think what she's doing there, especially mm-hmm. the second time you see the movie, is very challenging. And I was very happy to see her get a nomination at the Golden Globes. Uh, Knives Out, kind of a surprising, sneaky, possible Best Picture nomination and possible Oscar movie, which I don't think many people predicted it would be. And I don't even think Ryan Johnson was intending it to be. But People love that movie, uh, you and I included. So, yeah. Well, the thing is, it's a lot of fun, but it has the added benefit of being thoughtful and having commentary about the yeah. world we live in. So it's not like empty yeah. calories. Yeah, 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 for sure. Um, and then finally, in terms of women, uh, women of color, Jodie Turner Smith and Queen and Slim, which is a film I have not seen. The reviews don't seem to be spectacular on it. Have you seen it? I haven't seen it. I have the screener. I just haven't watched it because, like you said, the reviews have not. Yeah, she's a newcomer, um, uh, possible breakout performance. But, uh, you know, if the film is a flop, if the film doesn't really make any traction with the Oscars, usually those performances don't don't gain traction, unfortunately. Um, And then in terms of white ladies, we have, in addition to Renee Zellweger and Judy, who is phenomenal like you and i talked about this on the podcast weeks ago no it's it's the tr- like it's a real like i went into judy very skeptical and i was like ah shit this is <laughs> yeah. actually really good it's very nuanced and soulful and emotional she's not just trying to like imitate judy garland you really feel her pain uh in that movie and like if fucking eddie redmayne wins for playing stephen hawking and theory of everything um, and if that performance is, you know, a physically transformative thing, Renee Zellweger absolutely should win for her physical transformation in this movie. So let's let's yeah. not let's not play. But that in, game. In, let's, right. But in terms of other white ladies, I think the the big the, the other heavy header is Scarlett yeah. Johansson for marriage. Yeah, Story. which I think is the best performance of her career so far. Yes, it's, I would agree. With it's that. tremendous. And again. I know, I know the under the skin fans are going to be like, fuck you. It's under the skin is under the skin is good. It's very weird. It's very good. It's very weird. I just, I think Charlotte Johansson is better at playing a human woman than an alien woman. What do you want from me? (laughs) Yeah. She's, uh, uh, the complexity of that performance is, is really tremendous. Um, 
and you know, again, if Adam Driver is going to be lauded for Mater's story, Scarlett Johansson should be right there with him. It's very even-handed. Um, and then you have Saoirse Ronan for Little Women. She plays Joe March. She's terrific. I mean, I was watching this movie. I watched it last night, and it's fucking mm-hmm. great. It's one of my favorite movies of the year. And I was just thinking, like, are we taking Saoirse Ronan for granted? Like, I know she's been nominated for a lot of Oscars yes. already, but if this was, you know, for instance, Timothy Chalamet, or, you know, you think about young Brad Pitt, like, she's so good. She's such a good actress. I think we, I think we take Saoirse Ronan for granted because, A, she's been around for 12 yeah. years now because Atonement came out in 07. Um, and she has already racked up, what, two or three I think Oscar three or nominations? Four, I think it's Three or uh, four. So Atonement, yeah, Brooklyn. What, At- Atonement, Brooklyn. What was the other um, one? Oh, man. There was yeah. one more. Lady oh, Bird. Lady yes, Bird. that's right. So three. So There's three already in her young career. Um, although I also think we kind of take Saoirse Ronan for granted because Saoirse Ronan, unlike her contemporaries, does not do blockbuster films. Yes, that's true. Um, I don't know why. I don't think she'd be bad in them. But maybe that they just don't interest her. I know at one point she was sort of in the running for Scarlet Witch. She um, she auditioned for Force Awakens for Ray. Um, I didn't get it. Mm, yeah. yeah, everyone, everyone did. did. <laughs> uh, and she admitted she wasn't super um, like you know. Oh, I must have this. She did the host, I guess, which is the closest she's come. That's the closest yeah. she's ever done, right? Exactly. So it's it's an interesting career. But I think you're right. We do kind of take her for granted. And she's know, just bit. so good in this movie. And uh, I will write if she's not nominated for Best Actress. Um, so take that. And then uh, the other one that uh, everyone seems to have on their short list is Charlize Theron for Bombshell for playing Megyn Kelly. Yeah, that's, that's <laughs> tell me about Charlize Theron. <laughs> I like I like Charlize Theron a lot. I thought she should have gotten nominated. Uh, last year for Tully, which she wasn't, um, and playing, but like the Megan Kelly, a lot of like I feel like the prosthetics are doing heavy lifting, and I don't feel like I get to know Megan Kelly any, any better. And the film, to be honest, gets to be comical when it's like, and now Megan Kelly is going to do some reporting, and I'm like, oh, is she now? <laughs> Maybe she can start off by googling why is blackface bad? <laughs> is Santa Claus white? Yeah, I, I'm sorry. Just this notion of like, oh, you know, Megyn Kelly, it, it, it would be it's you, that if, it, if she were nominated because she's playing Megyn Kelly, not because it's a great performance as yeah. Megyn Kelly. Same with like if Lithgow was nominated for Roger Ailes, not because it's a great performance. It's just because, oh, shit, he looks like yeah, the yeah. guy. I'm like, OK, <laughs> that's re- let me take you down to Madame Tussauds. You'll I'll blow your fucking mind. Well, I think we're also going to start to hear if the, if she does start to gain traction, we're going to hear a lot about the fact that Megyn Kelly actually wasn't super instrumental in the in bringing Roger Ailes down. And it was actually Gretchen Carlson. I know there was, uh, uh, there were some words said in the press between the team uh, behind the loudest voice, which is the Showtime series version and this movie bombshell and the loudest voice. People were saying like in all of our research, everyone said Megan Kelly had very little to nothing to do with any of this. Which doesn't surprise me. Like Megan Kelly, like doesn't really stand yeah. for anything. <laughs> like it does. Whereas, like I'm more willing to believe that Gretchen yeah. Carlson does. And I'm not saying like I agree with their all of their politics or whatever. It's just like look at their careers. Like it doesn't take a. I'm not surprised that that's the conclusion it came to. I'm also not surprised that Bombshell is sloppily yeah. researched and kind of. And the the real life people are all under NDAs, so they're not going to be talking about anything. So, which makes right. it more cloudy. 
but but yeah, I would say you know the heavy hitter here is Renee Zellweger. I think you have to also put Scarlett Johansson in the mix and probably Charlize Theron, and then you have Saoirse Ronan, Aquafina, and uh, Lupita Nyong'o and Alfred Woodard and Cynthia Review er- Erivo in the mix um, with. Uh, you know, kind of depending on how they respond to the movie. Like, if Little Women is just kind of, like, roundly ignored, I could see Saoirse not making the cut. But Saoirse has been no- nominated so many times, it does seem like the Academy likes her. So, Right. And exactly. it, I'm hoping that these Critics Awards propel Lupita Nyong'o into the conversation, because I do think it's a great performance that's being overlooked. Uh, yeah, and I think it's being overlooked simply because Get Out was not—or, I'm sorry, Us was not as big of a yeah. hit as Get Out, even though it was a hit. Um, and the film came yeah. out in March, which are just— Dumb reasons to very dumb reasons. Yeah, I mean, Get Out. Daniel Kaluuya got a nomination, but for whatever reason, people are just kind of ignoring us a little bit. Yeah. Um. All right. Well, let's move on to to best actor. What's it's happening? a bloodbath. This is the most competitive category of the year, and one of the most competitive best actor lineups I've ever seen. Uh, it's very very difficult to predict at this time. Beyond, I think you have three that you can take to the bank and guarantee will be there. And that is Joaquin Phoenix for Joker, um, who I think is the front runner to win, uh, you know, because it's a physical transformation, because people love Joaquin Phoenix, because people like the movie, because the movie made so much money, all of the above. Uh, and then Leonardo DiCaprio for Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Obviously, the Oscars love Leonardo DiCaprio, and he gives a really terrific performance in this movie, and I think this movie is going to be a major Oscar contender uh, in all the major categories. Uh, and then Adam Driver for Marriage Story, which is you know kind of the, the, the other major, major Oscar contender. I think that uh, I would be shocked if he's not nominated uh, for this movie. He got his first nomination last year for Black Klansman, and you know he's obviously got another uh, really good role in the report this year, but... His work in Marriage Story is, like Scarlett Johansson, is the best of his career. And I think he's, uh, I think he's pretty, pretty solid to get in. So remember earlier in the, in the, in the episode where I said the film that's going to be more divisive than Mm -hmm. Jojo Rabbit? Mm -hmm. It's Joker. Joker is going to, if Joker gains any traction beyond best actor, like if you see Todd Phillips with a best director (laughs) nomination, People are going to lose their fucking yeah. shit. Like, I think for like everyone, it will be sort of like, you know, even if I don't like Joker, I can kind of swallow like, you know, Joaquin Phoenix. That's fine. Whatever it is, what it is. And honestly, I think he's the front runner, not just like for all the reasons you said, it's physical, trans- physical transformation. Uh, Joaquin has never won an Oscar. He's been nominated a few times, but this would be his first win. Uh, so you have the it's time narrative, whereas Adam Driver is much younger and, and DiCaprio won his Oscar for The Revenant. So, you know, I get it. But man, if Joker gets some traction, that's like it'll make the reaction to Jojo Rabbit right now look fucking tame. Because Joker is very divisive because it's bad and but like and it represents a lot of bad things. I think but I don't think it's gonna happen. I don't think Joker's gonna really make an impact because I think Warner Brothers is so fucking lousy at at, at, at the Academy game. Oh, I strongly game. disagree. Like Strong. Oh, really? Because I have a bunch of non non Oscars that a star is born. No, I strongly disagree with your assessment that Joker is is gonna flounder. I think Joker is absolutely a major contender. And- 
I I mean, if it is that that you know what, I yield to your expertise. But I will also say, if that happens, like if Joker is like sort of this powerhouse of like picking up nominations left and right, people are going to be like, "Fuck that movie!" all over again. I don't know. I'm curious. I mean, it's divisive on Twitter and with critics, but everything I'm hearing and seeing from the industry is people love Joker. Like Greta Gerwig was fawning over Joker. Um, another uh, female filmmaker was talking about how much she loved Joker. Like it, it just appears to be a movie that in the industry in Hollywood, among people who are voting for it, they just really like it. They don't see any problems. I mean, more power it. to them, more power to them. I would say, you know, honestly, if it, you know, judging by that reaction, I would sort of be like, I actually do yeah. kind of get it because for them, Joker is a way forward for yeah. their career. Like Joker is the compromise yeah, they yeah. can make. It's the compromise that Todd Phillips made, which is like, I can't make the film I want to make, but I can make a gritty, I can basically make it if I put it under the branding of a superhero. So if I want to make an artistic film, I'll just be like, no, it's, I mean, I'm making an artistic film, but we're going to call it Batgirl or yeah. whatever the fuck, you know? And like that, so for them, it's not even so much like Joker is good or bad as much as Joker is a, way forward to make the films they want yeah. to make. And I don't love the movie. I can probably make peace with a Best Picture nomination. I'm totally fine with nominations for Best Score and Best Cinematography. Even, you know, Best Makeup, Best Production Design. If Todd Phillips gets a Best Director nomination over fucking Greta Gerwig, I will riot. <laughs> because the, the, you might you might riot, my friend. <laughs> there might be a riot. my problems <laughs> with that movie are not with the craft. It's with the direction. It's with the inability to hone in on the thematic heart of the movie on any. Yeah. There's no, or any reason for it. And that's the other thing. I think, I think it could easily, you know, now knowing what I just learned in the last minute, (laughs) uh, based on brand new information, if it, I've always I've always said that 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 Joker would be nominated for best director. And I also think it will be nominated for best adapted. screen. Yeah, probably, which is stupid, but them's the breaks. I mean, (laughs) it's, it them, can't be perfect. It can't be pleasant every year, as I learned the hard way. It's never pleasant. <laughs> it's never pleasant. I, I, I should, I should, as a side note, say I hate <laughs> the Oscars. Like I grew up loving them, and now I've kind of grown to hate them um, because I feel like they detract from films more than they shine a light on films that deserve more attention. Like I think the Oscars at their best be like, watch this thing, you know, you know, let's help this up and coming actor. And now it's all about like, let, what the fuck can we tear down? I'm not saying that, that, that this is new. Um, although I think it sort of, it kind of came to being in the late nineties. Um, but I will say that, the Oscars as we have them now, it all, it's all about the backlash and then the backlash to the backlash. And it's just like, we get so far away from talking about the films themselves. Yeah. I have a love hate relationship with them, but it definitely has changed as I've been covering them professionally for nearly 10 years now. Um, I have a different perspective on it, uh, which is fine. I mean, I understand people who are like, Oh, I kind of like the Oscars. They're fine. Um, I just have to admit that like, I, I'm just too deep into it. And any of you talk to any right. Oscar like pundit or prediction person or people who cover it with any regularly regularity, they also have a love hate relationship with it. So saying that <laughs> moving back into the best actor, moving back to best actors, we did have to talk about the joke. Yeah. And then anyway. we can circle back to it a bit who when else? we get to best picture, best director. But, uh, you know, 
Robert De Niro gives a great performance in The Irishman. I thought he was kind of a lock to get a nomination, but he he was not on the Golden Globes uh, shortlist. And the thing with the Golden Globes is that they don't matter in that like their voters are not the same voters for the Oscars. They do matter in terms of visibility. So an Oscar voter sees the Golden Globe nominations. An Oscar voter watches the Golden Globes. So if they see that Robert De Niro is not getting a nomination, they stop to consider, huh? Does he really deserve a nomination? Or like, oh, I don't, I don't, I don't. Maybe I agree with who they put in here instead, or something like that. Um, and if they're watching the Golden Globes and they're like, "Huh, I really liked that Oscar speech by that person. I, I think I'm going to vote for them instead of this other person," um, which absolutely happens. Uh, you cannot look at the Oscars and say, you, you know, Oscar voters are not sitting down and saying, "Let me be as objective about this as possible." That's just not the way it works. Uh, I always say the best way to think about it is, you know, voting for high school uh, prom king and queen or homecoming king and queen. It, you know, you don't factor in like who is the best person. You factor in well, like this person was a bitch to that person, and this person was a dick, and I don't like that person, and whatever. Um, there are interpersonal relationships between everyone in Hollywood, and especially between the people voting for Oscars and the people who are nominated for Oscars. So, all of that has to be taken into consideration. Which is to say, it's possible. It's, it's, it, 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 it's a, it a mess. mess. Um, but back to like the bloodbath of it all. I mean, you have Antonio Banderas giving a really terrific performance in Pain and Glory. He could get in. Christian Baylor and Matt Damon are both submitting for Best Actor for Ford v. Ferrari. I think they're both very good. Uh, I think Bale has a leg up just because the Oscars love Bale. And his character gets an internal life. Like He's the only character that has like a family that you watch him go home to and everything. And he has the more kind of emotional arc. Um, so I can see him getting in. The Two Popes, if it's a thing, Jonathan Price could get his first ever nomination for that. Um, Taron Edgerton, bless him, has been on the Oscar circuit since Rocketman came out in, what, February? April? When did that movie come out? May? May. I was way off. Uh, and, he, and he's really good in the movie. Um, so I think that's a possibility. Yeah, I feel like with, with Edgerton, like he's a victim of a very crowded yeah. year, um, which is a shame because, as my wife said, if if Rami Malek deserves an Oscar for playing Freddie Mercury, then Taron Edgerton yes. deserves two for Absolutely. playing uh, Elton John because Edgerton actually yeah. sings. It's his voice. <sighs> fucking Bohemian Rhapsody. Fucking Bohemian Rhapsody. <laughs> yes, you're correct. Um, two like comedic veterans who were in the mix this year for kind of quote unquote comeback or like more dramatic performances or Eddie Murphy and Dolomite is my name and Adam Sandler and Uncut Gems. I think that their success will hinge more on uh, critics awards and like visibility. Like if, if Adam Sandler starts winning a lot of best actor awards, that will push his visibility as a viable candidate into the forefront of Oscar voters minds and make him a more viable um, uh, candidate to get a nomination. And I think he's great in the movie. I think it's his best performance. since punched up love. Uh, and I like the movie quite a bit more than you did, but I think it's uh I think he's really good in that movie. I think he is good. I think he is he is well yeah. utilized. Like I think within his limited range of an actor, the Safety brothers yeah. use him well. I don't think it is like but to me, like, is it a great performance? It's an entertaining performance. I think he is good in it. I would say other actors surprised me more than Sandler did. Like to see Sandler yelling and swearing and, you know, like, yeah, I, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I kind of expect that from Adam Sandler. I mean, the context is different, but what, you know, that's sort of the case with punch drunk love as well. You, you change the context, but it's still kind of the same guy. Yeah. There's something heartbreaking to his performance and uncut gems that I really responded to. Um, 
That's Uncut Gems is one I need to watch again. Uncut Gems, I think, suffered a bit for me by being like the fourth film on the seventh day <laughs> yeah. of TIFF. Yeah. And being like, fuck, I don't have time for this. Like, like Uncut Gems is relentless. It comes at you. And I was just like not having it. Yeah. So maybe I should give that one. It's uh time. it's tiring. Um, and then Eddie Murphy, I think, is yeah. one of the best performances in, in quite some time. And Dolomite is my name. I think the issue hindering him is that movie is entirely about Dolomite making a movie. It is not about Dolomite finding love. It's not about Dolomite, uh, you know, interacting with his family. It's entirely about him building his own family and, and building this movie. And it's he's very good in it. Um, and it's a good movie. But, you know, Oscars tend to go more for, uh, you know, something a little sappier. He just right. doesn't have that. If he had like an extra scene or something where, you know, he poured his heart out, maybe that would do it. But it's a very internalized performance. And I'm not saying the movie needed that. I don't think it did. But that's the kind of thing that, you know, vaults you into Oscar recognition and stuff. So let me ask you this. So we've, we've talked a bit about like, you know, Willem Dafoe can get in for yeah. the lighthouse. Do you think Robert Pattinson can get in? I mean, for the and who knows? I think that movie's a little too artsy. Uh, to be like mm. to the Academy's taste, but I don't know. I think he's really good in the movie if enough people saw it and liked it, but it's a very like, talk about a divisive movie. Like that movie does not make you feel good. It's not an enjoyable experience watching no. it because there's a fucking, there's a not fucking enough. lighthouse horn that goes off every 45 seconds, <laughs> literally the entire movie. And you're like, Oh my God. <laughs> ah. Um, but yeah, I think it's, I, I mean, I think it's possible. I think it's not out of the out of the realm okay. of possibility. I think another kind of long shot, but possible, is George McKay for 1917. I think he's very good in the movie, right. but more importantly, for a film to be a viable Best Picture contender, it usually needs an acting nomination. Um, so if 1917 is as big of a contender as I kind of sense that it will be, and I seem to be a little bit in the minority on this, um, I think McKay gets a nomination for it. Because usually, I mean, you look at the list, there's usually like one or two acting nominations every year where you're like, whoa, didn't expect that. Oh, of course. Yeah. Every year. They're sort of like, oh, that guy came yeah. out of nowhere. And then, of course, that leads to the inevitable, like, oh, this person yeah, is snubbed. Yeah. So. Which could be Paul Walter Hauser for Richard Jewell this year. And that, when I said there's one good performance in Richard Jewell, it's Paul Walter Hauser, who I think holds that film together with both hands. I think he is... He, 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 by, he makes it really yeah. heartbreaking. I think he is. And I've, I've, I, he, he really surprised me a, a couple of years ago in I, Tonya. I thought he yeah. was so funny. Uh, and, but he's really giving great, doing great dramatic work in Richard Jewell. Um, I would not be upset if he, if he was nominated. I, if Kathy Bates were nominated, I'd be like, come on. Like, I like Kathy Bates, yeah. but come on. Uh, but Paul Walter Hauser, I think, is much better. Uh, in, and he's the one he's the reason that I want to see that movie. So I would also mention Kevin Harrison Jr. for Waves. I mean, I don't know how big of a contender Waves is. And even though I didn't love uh, the part of the movie that I saw, uh, I think he's very good in it. I thought he was also great in a movie called Loose that also opened this year. So and I think if, if just Mercy hadn't landed with a yeah. thud. Like, I, I mean, it's just, which is so frustrating because I, I, you and I both liked Just Mercy and I don't know if it's like Warner Brothers campaign or it's just like Green Book, a film where like, ah, the cure to racism is like just getting along with like, you know, 
befriending one yeah. black guy. Whereas like Just Mercy was like, there are deep systemic issues that we need to address. And everyone's like, no yeah. thanks. And so the film doesn't exist. Because if it did, I think we'd be talking about Michael B. Jordan. But what for whatever reason, Just Mercy doesn't exist. To be fair, it so. hasn't opened yet. And it does open pretty late. I think it's a limited opening on Christmas Day. So it doesn't even open like... I would say... Yes, you're right. It is, but I also think like 1917. Yeah, and they've already got the you know that campaign's rolling. They've got the machine rolling on 1917. Yeah, no, you're right on that one. So, alas, but yeah, as you can see, this Uh, category is a fucking bloodbath, and like the only sure thing I'm, the only sure things I'm confident about are Joaquin Leonardo and Adam Driver, and even then, who knows? Right. Um. All right. Well, then let's move on to best director. Which is a challenge, a, a bag of challenges. It is also a bag of challenges. Yes, uh, yeah. I think, uh, gosh, it's so tough because it feels like the so I'm gonna off five names, and it feels like this is pretty locked. Like this would be a. It's not hard to see this happening. Uh, Quentin Tarantino for Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, uh, who many presume was a frontrunner to win this category until Martin Scorsese for The Irishman came along. Um, you know this three and a half hour epic that is masterfully constructed. Um, and I'm sure we're about to get to the backlash train of people saying it's too long or it's too boring. Um, that's coming. Uh, by the way, just to, yeah. to butt in for people, like when the backlash train comes along, that's not to say that people aren't making a good faith argument, but there are people working for other studios who have a vested interest in, in these whisper campaigns to back. Yeah. To push movies. them on. They have a vested interest. This happened uh, back in 98 with uh, uh, Saving Private Ryan and, and Shakespeare in Love, where the whisper campaign against Saving Private Ryan, which was this presumed favorite and clear front runner, was like, well, it's really not that good after the first, after the Omaha Beach yeah. sequence, which is ridiculous and stupid, but that was a, a silly criticism that then became part of the narrative. So this, so just be aware that when you hear these criticisms, there are also criticisms that are being done to benefit competing yeah. campaigns. Yeah, no, for sure. Um, and I'm sure we'll hear, we'll, we'll hear more uh, about many of these candidates. Um, so we've got Tarantino, Scorsese, Sam Mendes for 1917, crafted to look like one single shot and kind of insane that they pulled it off. Uh, Bong Joon-ho for Parasite, which is one of like the best constructed films of the year. Every single shot in that movie is perfect. No shot is wasted. You know, you can feel that everything is composed exactly to his specifications. And that then leads to the uh, emotional thematic impact that you get at the end of the movie. Um, and Noah Bumbach for Marriage Story, which, again, masterfully constructed. His scripts are are word perfect, uh, meaning actors don't improvise them. Um, but even like his shot composition, his shot choices, all are driving home the emotional thrust and thematic thrust of that movie. That leaves out a number of great filmmakers, uh, and it's tough. I mean, who do you cut? I mean, you know, these movies. Once upon a time in Hollywood uh, is you know. Uh, a thematic minefield without Tarantino guiding it. And even then people have criticisms as to how it's uh, executed. This, the Irishman without Scorsese, uh, without his, uh, you know, brilliant construction there is just a three and a half hour. Like if you just look at the Irishman from a plot perspective, it is kind of like, it's just fine. It's kind of boring. It doesn't work until you get 
the whole thematic point of the movie uh, via Scorsese's direction. 1917, I suppose another filmmaker could have pulled it off. I just think the way that Mendez does it is really uh, incredible. Um, yeah, I think that, that 1917 is like a, a testament to the craft yeah. of, of filmmaking. Like on, on a pure, like on a technical level, like I would not be surprised if 1917 just cleans up on yeah, yeah. awards because of what they were able yeah, to Yeah, for sure. For. Cinematography, production design, costume design, stuff like that. I wouldn't be surprised if it won Best Director. I mean, looking back at the the recent winners, we've seen a lot of split between picture and director and director often goes to a technical marvel like Gravity for Alfonso Cuaron, Roma for Alfonso Cuaron, um, Birdman for Inuritu, Revenant for Inuritu. Um, so that, that, that's four movies and two directors. Um, and then, you know, Parasite obviously wouldn't exist without Bon Joon-ho. Marriage Story. It's just so impeccably constructed. Like, you look at the direction of that movie, it's incredible. And yet, we're leaving off Greta Gerwig for Little Women, also impeccable construction. Also, you know, that adaptation that way doesn't exist without Greta Gerwig. Um, you know, you have Marielle Heller for A Beautiful Day in the Neighborhood, which, even though I didn't love the movie, I think that it's a really incredible... The way that it's constructed is really inventive and interesting and fascinating. Um, even Lulu Wang for The Farewell, it's obviously a very personal film, but I think it's uh, it's told with great intimacy. Um, you know, I would even say Pedro Almodovar for Pain and Glory. Again, another very personal film. And I really love the, the gut punch that you get at the end that it comes around to. Um, I think the way it's constructed around that is really interesting. Um, you could throw, you know, James Mangold in there for Ford v. Ferrari. I think it's a really well-constructed, um, you know, it's a movie you, you've seen before, but it's just executed so well. Um, you know, and if Jojo Rabbit is a huge thing, maybe even Taika Waititi. Who knows? Right. Yeah, it's a, I think you're right, though. Those five feel like a lock at this point, unless, I don't know, like, yeah. I The, the, the one who feels kind of like the odd guy out is 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 yeah. Kong. Simply by virtue of not being an English speaker, and you know the academy is fucking weird. But that director's um, branch usually you know, nominates someone a little. That's little true. That's true. They usually, actually, I think we're not thinking out the box side <laughs> yeah. the box far enough. That's the issue. There has to be some sort of sort of left field choice, and it's going to be it's going to be Todd Phillips for Joker. <laughs> it is. He's going to get in over Tarantino or something like that, and Tarantino is going to raise hell about it. Like it's just going to be. You know, I guess more likely you'll probably get in over Bombach, uh, which would be sad. But, um, you know. Yeah, but like they'll justify it to themselves and be like, well, Bombach, we can we nominate him for best yeah, original screenplay. Yeah. So there you go. And it pains me to like not put Greta Gerwig. Like I would have Greta Gerwig in my five. Um, but it's hard to say, like, what do you cut? Like, For me, I would cut yeah, Tarantino because I, well. I don't think – I, I, I'm not as over the moon about Once Upon a Time in Hollywood as other people are. I think it's really good, but Tarantino's the easy yeah. cut for Yeah, and me. I've always felt he's a better writer than a director, although I do think this is his best, like, from a direction standpoint, one of his most impressive, because it's, so much of the film is is more visual instead of written, um, and I like the visual construction of yeah. it, so now I'm talking myself out of my decision to pull him out of that pack. Um, but it's rough. It's really rough. Uh, and someone's and some kind of injustice will occur. Like it's not going to be per. No one's going to be perfectly happy with the five that get nominated here. Uh, 
What a what a great thing! Just just a way to like view cinema through the lens of competition and just to make well, and this people is the unhappy. thing. This is why what a what a great it's inherently thing. silly to boil down to who's better than who because you know whittling it down to five picks is inherently stupid. Like, it, why can't Greta Gerwig be one of the best directors of the year? She should be. Like, just because there are it, it dictates that there are only five doesn't mean that she's not one of the best directors of the year. She is. Um, and wouldn't it be great to see her get in? Like, even at the uh, expense of, you know, a uh, movie I love or someone I love, like, you know, Mendez or Scorsese or Bombach, it would be great to see her recognized here. But I think you're right. I think people sometimes often feel, especially with writer-directors, it's like, well, they'll probably get in for screenplay. So I don't yeah. feel compelled to put them in here. So all of this is say, you know, Todd Phillips and Clint Eastwood would probably get nominated. So. <laughs> Hooray! <laughs> Um, all right, so let's move into to best, best picture. picture. What what have you? What uh, have we I got? mean, the the top contenders at the moment, um, and and kind of the the locks for me, I'd say, are uh, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, The Irishman, uh, and Marriage Story. I think those three are absolutely certainly going to very much get nominated. Beyond that, I think, uh, you know, uh, you know what? Expand it. I'm gonna say Parasite is also in that mix uh, just because it's so well-reviewed, even though who knows what the fuck will happen. Uh, Jojo Rabbit, you know, history dictates because it won the TIFF Audience Award, it will get a Best Picture nomination. Um, if it hadn't won that TIFF Audience Award, I don't think anybody would be putting it in the Best Picture predictions this year. So we'll be curious to see if that stat holds or if it, you know, falls. Um, 1917, I think, uh, is very much in the mix. I think Joker is going to get a Best Picture nomination. Uh, you know, they announced the uh, costume designer, art director, and uh, Cinema Audio Society Guild uh, nominations today when we're recording this, and Joker got nominations. Uh, that usually tells you. I mean, I remember when Bohemian Rhapsody was picking up nominations from these small guilds, and it's like, what is going on? Uh, but you know, that tells you there is love for that. Yeah. Well, and and something that we should probably mention is that Joker has made a yes. billion dollars. Yeah. Like it is a, it has also the benefit of being a, a, a hit film by any metric. Like it is one of the most successful films of all time um, in terms of how much it costs to make and how much money it pulled in. And that yeah. fucking sucks, but that's yeah. just what it is. Yeah. So I think Joker gets in. I think little women gets in. I would be very surprised if little women doesn't get in uh, because it's so good. If it doesn't get in, it's a failure on Sony's part um, on getting it out there and getting that, uh, that going. Um, and then two popes, I would probably throw in there. Those are probably the uh, safest bets to to get in there. And what's funny is like what you've just named is all spread between like I think three yeah. studios. Oh yeah, it's all Netflix and Sony and uh, Warner Brothers. Yeah, Warner Brothers. Yeah, so it's not uh, not a ton of indies getting in this year. I don't think. Uh, yeah, like I was thinking, like what is A twenty four's big movie? Like, the lighthouse, I guess, wow. and waves. The lighthouse, yeah, and waves, yeah. Um, I mean, beyond that, there are other possibilities. I think the farewell is a possibility. Ford v Ferrari is a possibility. Uh, Knives Out, I definitely think, is a possibility. Knives Out could be yeah. a possibility. Would which not is crazy. be surprised if Knives Out got a best picture or a be a screenplay nomination. Oh, yeah. And did you say nineteen yeah, seventeen for yeah. best? Okay, okay, I missed, that. and that's yeah, universal. So that's universal. Um. Yeah, I think just as a technical Marvel, 1917 is pretty safe to get in there. Um, Beautiful yeah. Day in the Neighborhood doesn't seem to be drumming up as much uh, interest as even as Can You Ever Forgive Me did last year. Um, 
which sadly means Marielle Heller may once more go um, kind of unrecognized. And I think she's one of the best directors working today, even though, again, I didn't love that movie. I think her direction and her vision for that movie is really incredible. Um, but then you've got stuff like Pain and Glory, maybe even Judy, who knows? Uh, Uncut Gems could be in there. Um, definitely not Cats. I don't think Cats is getting in. I think we can safely say Cats is Cats is not getting a Best Picture nomination. You know what? Tom Tom Hooper doesn't do it for the awards, Adam. <laughs> does, does he, he know? The, he does it for because... the fan. <laughs> I, I couldn't say it. I couldn't get through it. I couldn't get through it. Right of course he fucking does it for the awards. He's we a fucking the hack. Speech. And then we had Les Miserables, which was unnecessarily recorded live on set. Uh, and then, and then had the Danish didn't pan girl. out too well. Not great there, Bob. And then the Danish girl, which, you know, felt like a lock as an, as an Oscar movie and really did nothing beyond uh, Alicia Vikander's uh, best actor or supporting actress win. Should have been actress because she was the yeah. lead actor in that movie. But well, yeah. Anyway, can't wait. Any for cats. <laughs> But yeah, uh, you know, it could be uh, some room for a surprise there. Dolomite or Richard Jewell or I don't think Bombshell. Um, but uh, who knows? So when will we have a firmer idea of, of where things are headed? What When's the next time that so, things are going to... So what happens in? now is the, the critics groups weigh in throughout December. Uh, and usually they coalesce around a movie like Roma. Um, it'll probably be Parasite. And then uh, actually this year's calendar is very different. Let me pull it up. Um, so this is one of the shortest awards calendars if not the shortest awards calendar in uh, recent memory. So that means everything got pulled up uh, or moved up. Um, so yeah, actually SAG voting in already ended. So uh, the SAG nominations will be announced on December 11th, uh, which uh, if you're listening to this podcast is on Wednesday uh, of this week. And so SAG nominations will give us, SAG is usually the first guild out of the gate. They give us an idea of how the actors are feeling about it. But also remember, like anyone who has a SAG card votes. So that means people, actors who are in commercials. So it's a far broader range of opinions. And and usually that gives us a bit of an idea, but usually there are a couple of snubs in there that don't also happen in the Oscars. Like those, those performances come back when the Oscars uh, come in. And then, um, I mean, uh, yeah, so Oscar nomination voting starts on January 2nd this year, which is insane because usually the voting starts uh, in like mid-January. So it's going to be a lot quicker. And then, you know, throughout January, we're going to learn who wins the Directors Guild Award, who wins the Writers Guild Award, Producers Guild Award. The winners of those awards are the clearest indicators of what's going to win Best Picture. Um, I think Green Book won the PGA last year and, you know, PGA, the Producers Guild Award almost always predicts what's going to win Best Picture. And then uh, the Oscar nominations are announced on January 13th, and the Oscar ceremony is on February 9th of this year. So it's happening very, very quickly. <laughs> I'm so happy that it's, it's going to be over it, very it the fast. Fuck over with. <laughs> It'll be interesting to see. That means there's not a longer time for narratives to kind of like stew. Um, so if something has momentum at the end of December, odds are that movie is that momentum is going to push through. Uh, yeah. To the Oscar. Let's go parasite. Uh, Cause the nominations are announced January 13th. 
Um, and that, that voting closes on January 7th. So keep an eye out on what people are talking about over Christmas and, you know, that first week of January. Um, that'll probably be the indicator of how things are going to go. So. Okay. Yeah, Jack, <laughs> we'll, we'll get to it. <laughs> we'll get to it. All right. Uh, okay. Well, so that's where we're at right now uh, in those major categories. And obviously we'll do an episode uh, probably in, at the beginning of January when there are no <laughs> new movies to talk about because spoiler alert, we're not doing a grudge episode. Um, so we'll, we'll revisit uh, in January uh, to talk about where the race stands uh, then. Okay, uh, let's let's move on. To uh, so watch. In, I've like? been trying to catch up on documentaries, and so I finally watched American Factory on Netflix, uh, which is the first Netflix film distributed by Barack Obama, Michelle Obama's production company. Um, but it is a documentary that premiered at Sundance, uh, I think, independently, and was picked up by Netflix. So it's not like the Obamas like created the documentary. Uh, I don't think. Um, but uh, it's great. Like I had heard really good things about it, but it's very good. Um, it. Uh, kind of chronicles, so it, it takes place in a suburb of Dayton, Ohio, where this giant GM plant had closed, causing thousands of people to lose their jobs. And then a couple of years later, uh, this Chinese company called Fuyao buys the com- buys the plant and opens a factory to create uh, windshields, like glass for cars. And thus hires a bunch of these people that have been fired by General Motors, but they're now working alongside Chinese workers and they're owned by a Chinese company. And so it's kind of contrasting, like the film is really about labor and how do we view labor in the United States and how do they view labor in in China? Because the Chinese workers, uh, you know, and the documentary goes back and forth, like it'll, it'll show some of the American workers going to China to visit the main Fuyao factory. And, uh, you know, in China, the supervisors and stuff are talking about how like their workers have like two days off a month and the people working there work like 12 hours a day and they see their families, you know, a couple times a month and their families live like outside the city. Uh, and then in America, like the Chinese company and the CEO, the chairman, um, as he's called, um, he's getting very frustrated because the output is not as fast and as quick as he's used to because Americans had the weekends off and Americans only work eight hours a day and they're slower because of safety regulations. And so all of these federal regulations and governmental regulations are butting up against um, how the Chinese company wants this factory to operate. And in between that, you're also looking at the interpersonal relationships between these Americans and these Chinese and you know, finding some common ground and understanding that, uh, you know, some of these Americans are obviously very upset that these Chinese have come over here and the Chinese are getting mad at them for being too slow. And then they come to realize, like, these Chinese have left their entire families and their entire lives to move to Ohio to live and work. Um, and I don't know, it's just a really fascinating look at labor and um you know, the factory, the, the workers in the factory attempt to unionize, which makes the chairman very upset. Uh, and it's just really, it's, a, it's just a really interesting uh, chronicle of the concept of work and like, what do Americans view work as? Like, what is the purpose of work for an American versus what is the purpose of work for uh, someone in China, a Chinese person? Um, and how does that affect their daily lives and their, uh, you know, how they view society how they interact with other people. Um, I don't know. It's just really interesting and kind of eye-opening. So it's on Netflix right now. I would highly suggest checking it out. Yeah, I, um, I've i been meaning to watch that one. And I think framing it as a labor thing, that sort of 
that makes it more interesting than the trailer did. The trailer was sort of like, how will they get along? Which is what I, which is kind of what I was prepared for, but that's really kind of just a subplot in the entire movie. And then he also has, there's no narration. There's no, like the filmmakers aren't like, all right, we're trying to get in here and find out what's happening. Like it's, it's presented as the few, the footage is telling the story. So it's not as if it's holding your hand and trying to tell you how to feel about these things, even though inherently just because of the editing, it is, it does have a point of view, but it is, it's a film about labor. It's not necessarily about like, Oh, let's find common ground because spoiler alert, some of the people do not find common ground and there is a lot of frustration and the Chinese workers have uh, a lot of disdain for their fellow American workers because they feel like they're lazy and not working as hard as they are. Um, and it, they are not, but because of federal regulations. And so, I don't know. It's really interesting. Oh, at the end of the day, can't we all just work it, ourselves it, to death for wealthy yeah, assholes? Yeah, it's fascinating can't we all just to see that? the Chinese workers like, you know, if I have to work on Saturdays, these Americans also have to work on Saturdays. And if I'm going to walk on a bunch of broken glass without gloves, why can't the Americans do it? Um, I don't know. It's really interesting. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe your beef <laughs> yeah. isn't with the well, Americans. Well, are also seeing kind of the, the propaganda aspect of, of the company. And like, you know, in the lunchroom, the company is playing videos of happy, smiling Chinese children, like enjoying the company or something like that. Um, I don't know. It's It's interesting how like, your company shapes your worldview, but it's also not discounting like how uh, is the American government and how are Americans shaping your view of work and of um, you know what you're doing. But again, it all boils down to what is the purpose of work? Like for the you know uh, you know is your is the purpose of work in America as it is you know to make money or is it to do a good job? And that's that's an interesting contrast. Okay, cool. Yeah, I'll definitely check that one out. Um, For me, uh, my wife and I recently watched the 1951 Cinderella on Disney+, and it holds up very well. Um, You know the story, Cinderella, evil stepmom, evil stepsisters. Uh, She has, you know, know, mice and birds who help her out. The thing that's that's really jumps out at you watching Cinderella. Two things. First off, it's it's really cute and funny. Like it, the film holds up very well. Uh, the mice are hilarious. They're so funny and so endearing, um, and it's gorgeously animated. But I think the thing about Cinderella is like we've become so focused on dismantling the story of Cinderella that we're sort of like, yes, we should break the rules of what this film is. But also we shouldn't just ignore the fact that like it wrote these rules to be broke. Like it didn't write them to be broken. It's just you have to start somewhere. And Cinderella is kind of a starting point. It is like, yes, she falls in love with the prince who she doesn't really know. Like I, I'm not saying that those criticisms are invalid, but I think if you recognize Cinderella in context, you can see why it caught on and why it is sort of the... I would say the Disney princess model, like the, the almost the platonic ideal of the Disney princess, um, not to, not to diminish Snow White or, or Sleeping Beauty, but I just think the happily ever after of it all and the villain and the sort of the plotting of Cinderella just comes together really well. Uh, and the film just moves. I mean, it's only 75 minutes, but it, it just goes where it needs to go. It has good songs. Like, it's a classic for a reason. It's not one of those things like, oh, it was good at the time, but it's not good now. Like it works. It still works. 
Um, and I was happy to revisit it. Interesting. Um, I was, I, I was uh, surprised at how entertaining I still I'm found sure it, I've seen knowing, that full movie, but like, I do not remember. like a modern sensibility to it. Yeah. Interesting. I saw it when I was a kid, have not seen it until like last week. So, but I, I'd recommend checking it out again. That's one of, one of the benefits of these, all these animated films on Disney plus yeah. is like, I've been watching, I watched that. I watched Robin hood. I watched Alice in Wonderland, watched Peter Pan. These films are like 75 minutes. <laughs> and <laughs> yeah, at the very least, you're yeah, I don't know if animation. you've been on the site, so, you probably read that I was um, at the uh, media you know, event for the new rise of the Disney resistance plus. ride at Disney world. But I was talking with a few other journalists there about how, you know, they have rides at Epcot that are based on three caballeros that, you know, not a ton of people were on or even knew who the three caballeros were, but I'm hopeful that now with Disney plus more people were watching these older movies. And now like these characters and these rides are, are kind of like newly resonant. At Adam Chitwood. Yeah, I agree. Um, okay. Well, thank you all so much for listening. If you want to keep up with this podcast, you should follow us on Twitter. Adam, where can we find you on Twitter? And you can find me at Matt Goldberg. Thanks for listening, everyone. We'll be back with you next week.